0: Welcome to a new episode of the Book Club for Busy Lives podcast, brought to you by Quinnipiac University's School of Health Sciences, Inclusive Excellence Committee, and Quinnipiac Center for Teaching and Learning. In this episode, we continue our exploration of issues relating to inclusive teaching in higher education through our discussion of the book, What Inclusive Instructors Do. This book is a thoughtful investigation of insights into issues instructors in higher education encounter in creating inclusive classroom environments. On today's episode, We'll be joining hosts, Dr. Karen Majeski, Assistant Professor of Occupational Therapy, and Dr. J.T. Torres, Director of Quinnipiac University Center for Teaching and Learning, as they speak with current Quinnipiac student Janelle Miller. Janelle is a junior in Quinnipiac's Behavioral Neuroscience program and grew up in Newington, Connecticut. She'll be working this summer as a research assistant with QU professors in the area of neuroscience research. Janelle's long-term goal is to utilize her neuroscience degree to help create ideas that foster strong and safe communities. We join our conversation in progress.
1: All right, so welcome to Book Club for Busy Lives. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are talking about how we can design inclusive learning environments and how we can be inclusive instructors. Um, It is really important that we consider this question, especially when we consider the incredible transitions that students are going through when they come to college. Many students ask, how do I protect my mental health in an environment that doesn't value my mental health? To explore this question, we are reviewing the book, What Inclusive Instructors Do, by Tracy Addy, Derek Dube, Kadisha Mitchell, and Mallory Sorrell. Today we are talking to Janelle Miller, a student at Quinnipiac University who is, behave, who is majoring in behavioral neuroscience. However, her track has been anything but linear, and we're going to explore her story later today. Students are under immense transformation, regardless of their background or age. We know that they are coming in with very limited cognitive resources. Mental health is high, social anxiety is high, and oh yeah, college is also more expensive today than it ever has been in history. And we're also making it more difficult with multiple modalities, higher course loads, and more engagement required to produce desirable results upon graduation. What we tend to leave out of these increasingly rising demands is a psychological safety required for people to trust the space, open up their minds, and feel comfortable enough to grow. And even when this openness is achieved, the cognitive resources that are so limited need to be protected enough so we can direct them towards the difficult work of meaningful learning. For instance, when students are stressed out for a variety of reasons, economic, social, environmental, they have fewer resources that they can dedicate to the actual learning. Inclusive instruction is not just an emotional add-on. It is required for students to actually learn what is important for them.
2: Well said, JT, and you know, there's a great excerpt from the book that I think sums up very nicely what you just said. So um, if you'll indulge me, I I would like to read this excerpt because it was so um, powerful to me. So the book says, inclusive instructors respectfully acknowledge students as individuals and use whole student approaches to support their intellectual personal and social development it goes on to say uh, and describes what these whole student approaches are so whole student approaches address the emotional and social needs of students and subsequently augment the educational experience and classroom environment as is reasonably appropriate The philosophy centers the student, and here's the most important part of this whole piece, and recognizes that academic achievement is dependent on all three of those developmental factors. So supporting the person's intellectual, personal, and social development is required in order for academic achievement to be seen.
1: This is often the things that we don't think about when we teach classes. We're so focused on the content, we're so focused on the intellectual development of our students. So it's really exciting for me to introduce Janelle and talk about her experience a little bit. Um, let me just first say, I met Janelle when she was a student in the very first class that I started teaching at Quinnipiac University. Um, we, the class was first year writing and after that very first class, Uh, Janelle talked to me afterwards and asked me where I was from, I let her know that I was not from Connecticut, I think I told the whole class that. And I remember our very first conversation, Janelle was telling me Connecticut things that I should do, which included ice cream and haunted houses. (laughs) So I'm I'm not sure if you do those things at the same time, um, or in any particular order, but that stood out as this moment when it wasn't just me trying to create this welcoming atmosphere, Janelle recognized me as a new person to this community, and just helped me feel at home, not just as a teacher, but also in the state. Um, So Janelle has this idea of what it means to be a welcoming person, but she also has this interesting story on how she felt that she did not belong and eventually did feel like she belonged. Um, So just to introduce her, Janelle was originally a psychology major. She dropped out of college for about a year and a half during COVID, um, where she spent some time learning more about her mental health and how to quote unquote, grow up, um, how to do this thing that we call adulting. Um, now she works um, with a professor in a lab where she's working on some research and she's also working to unite the student base under her major while also spreading awareness about mental health to create a less stigmatizing environment for self-understanding and recovery. So welcome Janelle.
3: Thank you, thank you. I appreciate being on.
1: Um, I, so it's not just me talking about your experience and, and Karen as well. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit in general what your first year experience was like?
3: Well. My first year experience was definitely a very interesting one. Um, It was very different moving from going to a high school where you got to go home at the end of the day, you were surrounded by your family, to being surrounded by a bunch of peers your age. It was definitely influential. I can't say it wasn't. Um, Making friends was always difficult, not because I was considered weird or anything like that, but just in general, I feel like students might not be the most friendly on first impressions, Everybody's nervous coming to their first year of college. Everybody wants to be a new person. Everybody wants to be seen grown up and like an adult. Nobody wants to be seen like a teenager, even though you really are just a teenager. You're only 18. So living on your own is definitely really hard, but meeting professors and having those connections with professors made me felt like feel like I belonged and almost as if my opinion was important and not just invalid.
1: Thank you. Um- when you talk about the validation of your feelings and what it what it means to like find yourself in that moment this is what I, I think about when it comes to those limited cognitive resources right so l- let me just back up a little bit and, and explain um, what that means into uh, when we're talking about this experience in this transition so if you wake up one day and you're stressed out about the weather right it could be something so small or I don't know you're worried about where your next meal is gonna come from or how to pay bills or you're worried about caretaking for a family member all of these things weigh on our memories and weigh on our minds um, and we carry that with us right so then when we're in a particular moment like a class um, and you're being asked to pay attention to something or learn something you can't just turn off those other stressors or those things that are occupying your mind. Um, Can you talk a little bit about some of those stressors that you that you were experiencing at that time and how they were both validated or how you might have even had to try to turn them off quote-unquote.
3: Well if you want to talk related to class, I know sometimes there's a little bit of an overload of homework and that becomes very stressful very quickly when you have to balance so many classes but having professors be understanding when you missed assignments or needed extensions or even when you just couldn't attend class because you had a big project coming up, having that understanding made the learning environment feel more friendly and more safe. I don't know, I feel like having this pressure to do well in school while also maintain a social life was always in the back of my mind. It was finding the perfect balance between doing well in my classes, but also having friends and living that quote unquote college experience everyone always talks about. And I feel like that was for me probably the main stressor. Um, obviously there's stressors like how do I pay my taxes? How do I how do I pay bills? You know, where do I get my first car? How do I trust that? All of the typical adulting things that you somewhat move towards, grocery shopping, that was always very interesting my first year. You know, I tried to avoid it as much as possible. <laughs> but even just hearing, you know, professors who were grown adults talk about their own experiences and how they somewhat shifted over throughout their college life and learned how to do these things, even just having the instructions on how to do things, like how to file your taxes, where to go, hearing that TurboTax was a thing the first time. Those sorts of things definitely very much so helped um, those stressors in the back of my head.
1: Yeah, these are the things we take for granted, right? And so now I'm really interested in Karen as an occupational therapist, right? Some of this is what Janelle is talking about, right? How much support do you think students are getting?
2: Right. So we were talking about this uh, before the podcast about really learning all of these basic, um, we call them IADL, instructional activities, instrumental activities of daily living. and you're really learning to take care of yourself while you're also trying to transition through a difficult cognitive task in your life. So you're really expected to learn these two things at the same time. Um, And as JT was saying, we talk so much about the learning, the educational piece, um, but where do we build in these opportunities to teach and help you through that transition of also learning these other massive um, activities of daily living that you have to, um, that you're you're learning at the same time. Um, Some students may be fortunate enough to have uh, these opportunities prior to coming to college. They may have supports Um, that they could call upon while they're in college. Um, So for those that don't have these supports um, or the prior experience prior to coming to college, how do we recognize students that need this extra support um, in some capacity, right? So I'm sure, I mean, I guess I could ask you the question instead of assuming, but when you met your advisor or met a teacher Um, Were most of the questions around your academic adjustment, or were people even asking you about the other types of adjustments that you were going through? Most definitely academic-based. It was always about how well I was doing my
3: classes, if I was passing, if I was enjoying the content. It was always about the class. It was never really about the personal life, but meeting JT, it did shift to some of the personal life things that I, I did need help with at the time and just understanding who I was. It's really hard to dig into yourself and figure out who you are as a college student, especially when all you have to focus on is academics. But being able to have that one-on-one with the professor where they ask you about, you know, how are you, not just asking friendly, but genuinely asking how are you doing was very, very meaningful. And it almost pushed me into thinking about who I was as a person and who I could be as a person in the future, rather than just whether or not I'm gonna go to grad school whether or not I'm gonna make it through my four years of college.
2: Yeah, and I remember us having a discussion about um, well, what do you need help with or what else can I help you with? Um, And you had given an example of, well, I don't know to ask for help with something because I woke up came to school today and I realized, oh, I don't have food um, to to eat because I forgot to go shopping and classes were back to back, but you didn't know to ask for that help until you experienced that. Um, So sometimes you're going through that discomfort and realizing that's the help you need to ask for. Um, So, really trying to figure out um, ways that students could answer that question, how can I help you, or what other help do you need, Um, because sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, people can't express what help they need until the discomfort is already there. I feel like it's also just considered taboo. I feel like a lot of people talk
3: about how you should maintain professional relationships with your professors, that they're your networking Mm -hmm. devices. Mm, Good point that they're going to be your future one day and that you need to have this sort of respect in a way that's authoritarian or... Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm. right. But nobody tells you that you can build a personal bond with a professor that's deeper than just academics. And I feel like as a student understanding that now, coming back to college, I've had just much a much better experience. Mm.
1: There's, there's an article in the New York Times that was published in 2019, I think, by David Brooks, and the title of the article is People Learn from People They Love, right? So, like, that, it's, it's, an, it's a motivating piece, right? The emotions always play a part, and we try our best to cancel those emotions out, even though we are emotional beings, and that relationship makes it so important. So, yeah, it's super important to think about the emotional quality of a human. And, you know, it's not just a student who's coming in to learn and fill their heads with knowledge, but we have to consider um, all these emotional aspects and how important that relationship is. So I appreciate you sharing the positive experience in my class Um, and how and and it was genuine. Like I just genuinely cared about who students were and, and knowing who they were. So what didn't feel like extra work? Um, But even though things seemed like they were supportive and things were going well, you still ended up leaving Quinnipiac after um, the class that you were in with me. Do you wanna talk a little bit about why you decided to leave?
3: I think personally, um, it was was an experience that I had to take for myself and be selfish about. Um, Unfortunately, due to COVID, there was a lot of stress in the air. You know, everyone was in lockdown. Everyone was sort of stuck in their own room, in their own head. And I felt like the longer that I was staying in college, the less selfish I was being to myself. And selfishness is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you're allowed to be selfish and you're allowed to want to do things for yourself rather than for other people. And I felt like I lost that. And I need to take a step back and realize who I was, my own identity, and how to build that for myself. Not because other people are telling me I should or I want to, but because I want to do it for me. And being able to take that time away to really develop my person and understand my own mental health and my own being, I came back to school with a
2: brighter mindset and I feel like I'm thriving now in comparison to just surviving before.
1: That's amazing.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. You're really speaking to um, having your own self-identity. And often when students at this young age, 18, um, you, you come in with a college identity, but it's not your identity. Um, And that's what I'm kind of hearing from you, that you were trying to mold or fit into what you perceived as this college identity, but who was Janelle? Um, And taking that time to answer that for yourself and developing your identity, now you're coming in with this is who I am and this is what I want to get out of my education. Um, And that is a very typical experience that all 18, 19, 20-year-olds go through. Um, And back to JT's comment about adulting, we're asking you, you're an adult, and what do you want out of life? And you're saying, I want to know who I am first before I could decide what I want out of life. Um, so I uh, commend you for, um, and I don't think it's selfish at all, <laughs> it is personal care and the development of your identity um, so that you get out of this experience um, what, what, what you want, not what the university gives to you.
1: You mentioned that it is taboo. We, we send a lot of bad messages in our society, right, that it's taboo to, be, to practice self-care or that it's selfish to practice self-care a lot of the work that we're doing is to resist some of those messages so kudos to you but walk us through a little bit of the details of the transition out of Quinnipiac Um, I want to focus a little bit on again what does it mean to provide those supports that Karen was talking about how do we design um, a welcoming atmosphere intentionally Um, in my class I'll I'll speak to that experience there was there were some moments in 102 I know and that was the semester the spring semester when COVID happened Um, when you had to miss some class, right? And you communicated with me and you let me know that you missed class or you had to for these variety of reasons. And, you know, I did not require you to tell me what those specifics were. Um, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And I asked, like, is everything fine? And then, um, you know, we just worked on class in the background as much as we could. Was it that way with all of your classes? Like, walk me through a little bit of that that particular challenge. Were you able to miss classes without punishment across the board?
3: Well, you want to know what's really funny? you're the only professor that I told. In Gen um. Z terms I ghosted the college and I just kind of left. Um, I had such a important bond with you as a, as a an adult figure that I felt like I should at least let you know what was going on. Um, some of my other professors I felt like I couldn't share that information with them. Um, going back to what you were asking before, coming back to school was very 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 difficult. I was sort of thrown back in um, I was required to go through all these obstacles to come back and then after coming back it's almost like everything just disappeared and i was thrown in again as mm-hmm. if i had been there the whole time
2: ah. Ah. yeah wow um here's my question for you um if you could create the perfect scenario for how you could return with comfort what would that scenario look like so for example
3: i know when i came back the f- the first time because um, i did take little breaks here and there throughout the years. Um, All of my professors in the psychology department um, sat down together and created a table, just a schedule of when I should get things done by, if I was comfortable with it. They weren't forcing me to get assignments in within a week. They were telling me, you know, okay, we went through this whole topic. It was kind of a long topic, so let's give you the month. That way you could balance all your other classes. And having that understanding about the student's academic life, but also their personal life, definitely helped me feel more comfortable with these professors and also form a plan that was manageable. Definitely finding a plan that's manageable for yourself is very important, especially with the overload and coming back to school. I felt like I just had all of these tasks I had to get done and I didn't know where to start. It was Mm -hmm. so overwhelming. But now, you know, looking back on it, I did have some breakdown with those tasks, and it made some of my classes more manageable, way easier. And I felt more motivated to continue that class rather than just going, oh, well, I missed all this topic
2: or this, all this content, so mm-hmm. what's the point of even trying anymore? Right, right. So the, the, that group of teachers actually gave the leeway that JT was talking about um, with deadlines, with expectations, but they were manageable. Um, so what I'm hearing is if something is too open-ended, right, just get it done, or too pressured, it has to get done this week, either, either extreme is just going to not be helpful. Exactly. Um, but that management, and sounds like working with you on that management plan, it was really what was most helpful. It definitely
3: was really important to me as a student that that happened, at that point in my life, um, I was definitely struggling with a lot of mental health, just understanding my Mm -hmm. own mental health and my own feelings, my own emotions, how to regulate myself and how to be a better person in society. And I feel like having that structured schedule put me back on track for success rather than as a way to almost speed up my transition back home, Mm -hmm. back to this Mm -hmm. college. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like, okay, you're back now, awesome. Let's work through it together and then you can work through your own stuff as well at the same time because now you have time to do that in a comfortable environment for yourself rather than just get thrown into classes and good luck getting your essay done that was due two weeks ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Um, now that you have come back this wiser person, let's say, You've got, you went on a journey um, and you know more about yourself and you know about how you fit into the world, Um, What are some of the strategies that you have brought with you to make sure that you maintain that balance and you are caring for yourself while also working on that essay?
3: Well, I definitely do take time for myself every night. Um, I make sure that even if I have six hours of homework, if it's going to take me till midnight to do six hours of homework, then I'm not staying up till midnight, I can tell you that right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I need to sleep, Good. I need to shower, I need to do all my daily tasks, and I need to take care of myself. So if I have too much homework, then it's just it's just going to have to wait, and I'll communicate that with my professors. I hope that I get a response back within the time. Um, I try to work with my professors one-on-one for my own schedule, especially as a working student. Sometimes it gets very difficult to balance multiple tasks. Um, so I try to be very open and honest with my professors and it definitely helps when my professors are open and honest back with me too whether it's acceptable for me to get an extension on this or whether it it does really need to be done for class tomorrow because there might be like a discussion based off of it that I would be you know getting a lot of content through Mm -hmm. so having that one-on-one with professors and being able to email back and forth and communicate with each other definitely helps me segment my homework that needs to get done right now with stuff that can be you know put off to the side for maybe one more day just so I could have some personal time and you know some reflection time from for myself really.
1: Good. Can you walk us through a little bit of how you spent your time when you weren't in college coming to these conclusions and and learning how to prioritize yourself?
3: For the longest time after I left Quinnipiac I was in a really bad place and I wasn't really thinking about how to better myself as a person. I was more focusing on survival. I eventually did reach out for help. I ended up um, seeking out psychiatric help, and that definitely pushed me in the right direction on how to take those negative thoughts that I had been just reminiscing on and putting away and pretending like they weren't happening, and how to take those thoughts, manage them head on, and then move forward and use my own cognitive power to override them and start like thinking more positively. I've developed positive thinking as a, as a sort of constant mechanism of coping. And without going into too many details, I try to take a negative thought and turn it into a positive thought overall. And that's how I sort of developed into the person that I'm now proud of rather than the person that I was shameful of before.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. And um, what are your connections now? Like where where do you find this welcoming environment now? I don't know if uh, JT is still your professor or not, but you spoke about how he was your lifeline. So how do you seek supports now that you're here? Even Not not help in terms of like mental health, but just people who give you this welcoming um, environment that, that you're looking for. I feel like it it really all starts with a smile, you know? The moment a professor
3: gives me a little smile back, um that's a humane smile rather than just like a Mm -hmm. insert smile here Mm -hmm. um that really shows me that they're a human that they can talk to me with jt specifically you know we did keep in contact throughout the entire time it's been about four years now i think and we've sort of maintained contact you know maybe it's just an email once every couple of weeks maybe it's just one meeting a semester but still having that in the back of my my back of my mind and looking forward to that and then having a genuine discussion um, puts me into a really great place again. Yeah, that's great.
1: There, there is uh, there is science behind that, that whole <laughs> smile and the first impression thing like uh, Malcolm Gladwell has written about it, but this idea that um, the way people present themselves, right, you can create that positive atmosphere um, and that positive environment and but it cannot be fake, right, and I, I think that needs to be made really really clear like you have to actually care um otherwise people will understand that it's a facade and or it's performative um you are also a support now can you can you talk about how you support other students How have you been sharing this knowledge and wisdom with others
3: so my program that I'm in right now is actually a very very small program here um at Quinnipiac we don't have many many students in the program so I just do my own work of hey what's your major Cool, you're the same major. Take my phone number, take my Instagram, get all my socials, reach out to me, let me know how you are. Just say hi. Like, we don't even have to talk about our major. You could just, we can just be friends. I know I might not know you as well, but let's get to know each other. Let's grab some coffee. And I try to link everyone under my major together. I want to create a strong student base and a strong community so we can all rely on each other. And I feel like the more that we create a stronger community, the more opportunities we're given, right? As a small program, um, it's, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to not really know where you're important, where you're relevant. Like, maybe your classes aren't always necessary or relevant to your major, but having the strong community of people who are passionate in the same thing as you are definitely uplifts you and makes you feel more empowered to do what you want to do and take on bigger projects because you have a bunch of people standing behind you rather than you just saying, hey, I kind of want to do this and feel really shy. Mm. Having a lot of students behind you with a huge community of people who think like you do, but also have their own ideas, helps create discussion. It helps create, you know, more ideas, diverse ideas. It helps bring more ideas to the table. And the more that we talk and the more that we advocate for ourselves as students, to our professors, I feel like the more we're getting in return overall. I feel like self-advocation for a student is very, very huge. And not a lot of people talk about that. A lot of people just resort to, oh, you should listen to what your professor said. Oh, you know, you should listen to what this person told you. But what about speaking out for yourself and having other people listen to you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like you're taking actually some of the principles that JT and I were alluding to and you are intentionally doing it for yourself or with your classmates and peers. Um, Doing it with intentionality and with purpose and with focus for a reason. Um, You're seeing the outcome of this camaraderie, of this inclusivity of your small group um, because you came in with the intention of being welcoming to those around you, reaching out to others and ensuring that they feel welcome too. Um, So that that really is commendable.
1: How are you doing now with the adulting? You go to there. D- do you go to grocery stores? <laughs> do you <like> I do.
3: <laughs> I very much so enjoy groceries, uh, grocery shopping, let me tell you. It's become kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know. The adulting's there. I feel like I still have a lot of work to do. I'm only 22, so I definitely have a lot more to learn, you know, with living on my own. That's still a task that I haven't really managed myself yet. Um, but other things I feel like I've been thriving in, and it's, it's really about taking things one step at a time. You know, they tell you, you have to do this, you have to do that. There's like 10 things you have to get done to be an adult. But where do you start? You pick a point to start. Maybe it's just going to the grocery store for the first time. Maybe it's going for a walk outside by yourself for the first time. Scary going outside. <laughs> so, um, sounds terrifying. It, it was pretty terrifying, let me tell you. <laughs> but nonetheless, you you pick a spot to start and then you continue forward. You do one task at a time. You, may, you let yourself do those tasks to the best of your ability. And it eventually it becomes easy. I could pay my bills now. I know how to pay bills. I know how to write a check. Three years ago, I had absolutely no clue. I have a credit card. I have a credit score. Looking for an apartment now. It's all these little steps that
2: you have to take in order to get to those big ideas that everybody wants you to do. Yeah, you're breaking down those difficult tasks into manageable pieces and setting an expectation for yourself to just explore this one piece and adding on as you're successful versus having all of these massive tasks that are must do's or should do's. Those are so overwhelming. Um, so the task breakdown is very very important and i don't want to skip over the self-advocacy piece that you spoke about Mm -hmm. um you did say that and then we moved right into how are you doing at adulting (laughs) but the self-advocacy piece um, is what comes after you've developed your identity right Um, now that i know who i am i could advocate for myself um, and I have a, a stake in this too, and I um, have a responsibility to get out of this education what I put into it. Um, so again, really commendable, all these life lessons that you're sharing with us.
1: For sure, for yeah. sure. Um, and I also, I've heard you mention, you know, that you have learned how to regulate, right, your health, your wellness, your emotions, um, but I also don't want you or anyone to think that it's all on you right like if if you're going through something that you need care right it shouldn't just be your responsibility it should be the institution's responsibility those you are, you are in relationship with they should be helping as well um so now speaking towards the future mm-hmm. um what advice might you provide to professors that, um to help them create a more inclusive environment where people of different backgrounds processes habits whatever can feel welcome what should we be doing?
3: The first thing I think every professor should do is let your students talk to each other. Let them know each other because those students build their own community within your class and if you don't let them get to know each other who are you supposed to reach out to if you have to like miss a class and you need notes? Mm-hmm. Who are you supposed to reach out to if you don't know what the assignment is? Sometimes professors are busy and letting your students get to know each other not become friends necessarily just become acquaintances and exchange some phone numbers and create chats and email groups that people can talk through is very very helpful for a class to start with after that it's just being genuine with your students asking them how they're doing genuinely not just you know how's the week the weather's nice it's like how are you have you been overwhelmed lately if you're overwhelmed maybe we could take it a little slower this week i know there's been a big anatomy exam that everybody's been talking about how can I make it easier for you this week and maybe we can go a little harder next week when when things lighten up a little bit. Another part I feel like professors could really benefit from is listening to each other with like outside of your own field of study. So even though you know JT you're an English professor, hearing what maybe some of the science professors have to say about what's going on in their course content could help you curate a class that's more helpful to your students when they're going through a stressful time and maybe reduce the workload for a slightly just a short period of time so they can then catch up on those other classes and give your class all the attention that they deserve it deserves to get you know Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
3: it's hard to divide your attention as a student equally amongst your classes when some of them are heavier than others but allowing your students to not pick and choose but have weeks that might be lighter in certain classes so they could focus on the heavier content in other classes lets them come back to your class with even more energy and more want to learn
1: Exactly, exactly. That, that cross-collaboration is so important. That's why me and Karen are friends. <laughs> Karen does the health sciences. I, I do the writing. Yeah, for sure. Um,
2: I'll throw a strategy out there from the book that may or may not be pertinent to your situation, but it's never too late to create a welcoming environment. Um, So if you've missed an opportunity, um, it doesn't mean that that's how the rest of the week has to go or the rest of the class has to go. Um, And it's also often requires these repeated attempts or reminder so I feel like I myself need the reminder so I might start a class in a very welcoming way um, but I may have to stop and say did I intentionally welcome students this week or offer an opportunity for them to talk or so it's we think of um, creating environments in terms of the start of the semester here is my environment i'm creating but it's something we have to continuously go back and look at how welcoming is my classroom at this moment um, it's not just the the way we start Um, and i know that sounds might sound more critical than i mean it to sound but it's also unintentional the content the rigor Mm -hmm. the pace um But taking those pauses that you're talking about and evaluating where is the student body right now in this class and recreating that welcoming um, is something we have to do with intention.
1: And taking the pressure off of professors, um, something that you shared Janelle, it's not always up to us as the professors to create that welcoming atmosphere. If we do what Janelle said, give students a chance to form their own friendships, communities, Um, connect with each other, they make the environment welcoming for themselves as well, but they need to be given that chance. And so like in in our class, I made my heart so happy when I saw um, you all connecting outside of class or forming little groups, or even when you told me now that you saw somebody from our class three years ago and you said hi to them and you were like JT's class. Um, that's, That's a welcoming environment. And I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was just say, talk to each other for a little bit and exchange phone numbers. And then it can be embedded into the environment. And it takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to be everything to our students. We just have to let them know that they are everything in that moment. So, just to uh, close things out, Janelle, now that um, now that we've gotten to know you and heard about your journey, um, what are you working on now? Do you want to let us know a little bit about your research?
3: Excuse me, because I get very excited <laughs> talking about it sometimes. <laughs> um, so, currently, I'm actually collaborating with a professor on campus. Um, I work in animal studies, animal research, and I focus on, right now, our lab is focusing on depression. Um, I think for the summer, I'm trying, hopefully, fingers crossed, I get it. Um, I hope to study um, animal models of anhedonia in rats and see if that's a possible symptom for depression and if there are tests that are more reliable for that sort of testing. Because, um, you know, research can always be expanded upon. and I feel like working one on one under this professor It just be me and that one professor. It really lets me explore my opportunities as a student. It lets me do the adult thing in quotes and almost push forward my own ideas and support my own ideas without being told what to do. Mm. It's sort of giving me room to grow, room to learn, room to ask questions, but also to run my own for a lack of a better word, life. Mm -hmm. Rather than doing what somebody else is telling me, I'm actively advocating for myself and moving forward with what I want to do.
2: And that's really exciting. Yeah. It makes me really excited. Wish you the best of luck in that. And something tells me you're going to be fantastic. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you, Janelle, for coming back to Quinnipiac. Um, Just want to be fully transparent. When Janelle was in your uh, in-between phase, um, I, I had volunteered to write some letters of recommendation for her when she was applying to different colleges and universities. So that was breaking my heart that at the time you were considering other places. I did draw the line and tell her she can't apply to any place in Texas. Um, I hope that we don't have any sponsors from Texas (laughs) right now. It turns out we don't have any sponsors, so we're safe. Um, So thank you for coming back to Quinnipiac because we would have been missing out on you. And then also thank you for sharing your story with us today as we just help us all figure out this new world that we're in and trying to adopt.
3: Well, thank you for all the opportunities that you've sort of just put in front of my face, being like, here, please take them. Thank you for all of the support, even when I wasn't here, you know, you kept in contact with me, which was insanely helpful, it continued to motivate me to come back to college. I didn't feel like I was just a quote-unquote worthless dropout, like I had nothing to do with my life. I knew that even if college wasn't my path, I still had support, and I still had someone who would speak positively about the person that I am, and the person that I have become, so I can continue to move forward with my life it doesn't necessarily mean that I had to come back to college. College just happened to be my path. But knowing that I had those supports, even outside of college, made growing up very much easier. Very much. (laughs) Well, it was lovely
2: to meet you.
0: You have been listening to Quinnipiac University's Book Club for Busy Lives podcast, brought to you by the School of Health Sciences Inclusive Excellence Committee and Quinnipiac University Center for Teaching and Learning. In our next episode, which will be the last episode of our season, we will be joined by Dr. Donald Sawyer the third Vice President for Equity and Inclusion and Chief Diversity Officer at Quinnipiac University and Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology, Criminal Justice, and Anthropology, as we discuss issues related to our book. We hope you will join us. The Book Club for Busy Lives is produced by Grace McGuire with script and presentation assistance by David Majeski. This has been a production of Quinnipiac University 2023, all rights reserved.